This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 51, and we are recording on October 10th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we have a special guest. Author Asma Zahanat Khan is here to answer your mystery thriller questions. So Woo-hoo! welcome, everyone. <laughs> welcome. Um, Asma, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on the show. Oh, I'm excited to be here. I can't wait to start this discussion about books. <laughs> yeah. yeah, between Amanda and I, we have read all of your books. Yes. <laughs> Our powers combined. Here. Yeah. And um, and did I see on your website that you're writing a fantasy series for Voyager? That's right. I am. And uh, that the first book in that series will come out in fall of next year. And when does the next Inspector Asa, is it Katak? Am I saying that right? Asa Katak. Isa Hatak is good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when does the next one of that come out? Among the Ruins will be published actually on Valentine's Day. So think about I that. just got that galley yesterday. <laughs> oh. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> it's so jealous. <laughs> I will look forward to hearing what you ladies think of it. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So um, as you might have guessed from my intro to the show, this is a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you send us questions and uh, we answer them. So we gathered together all of the mystery thriller related questions for this show. Um, but most shows are a mix of genres. So you can send in questions about nonfiction, fiction, kids books, comics, whatever you're interested in reading next or need help picking out for presents for people or whatever. Uh, send us your questions. You can send them to us uh, by email. The email address is getbookedatbookriot.com. You can drop your questions in the form that's at the bottom of every show notes for the episodes on the site. Um, and you can also send them to us on Twitter. I'm uh, at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, and Amanda's I'm Amanda Nelson. Um, and... Uh, and we're also trying to get to some questions by email since we have a couple that are repeats and we don't want you to have to wait till we cycle around to them again. Um, and I think, did I miss anything, Amanda? Is that all nope. of our housekeeping? Yeah. All right. Awesome. So we are going to proceed to our first question, ooh, which ooh, is Amanda. Ooh. Yeah, sorry. I like That's was way <laughs> down in my agenda. There were scrolling <laughs> issues happening. Okay. Our first question is from Anna, and it's maybe the most specific question oh, I've ever read on the show, and so I loved it. <laughs> like, it was so hard, but I feel, I feel like we got it. Okay, so question one is, I'm looking for a golden age puzzle mystery with a rigorous plot and a Christie-esque slap-in-the-face ending, but I'd like to see it against the backdrop of a modern-day or near-future setting where technology and forensics adva- forensic advances aren't overlooked, but also aren't enough to solve the mystery on their own. A great example of what I mean are the novels of Keigo Higashino, whose works have been slowly, so slowly trickling into English translation. Okay, so that's specific. Yeah. Like a lot. <laughs> so let's <laughs> get going. Asma, you are up first. Okay, that was such a difficult question to reconcile all of those elements, and I had to really rack my brain. And what I came up with was this series by Martha Grimes. It's a pretty long-standing series featuring... Uh, it's set in England, and it features a detective who works for Scotland Yard, uh, Superintendent Richard Jury, and he works with his partner, this amateur sleuth by the name of Melrose Plant. So I was trying to think golden age puzzle mystery with a rigorous plot. And the books in the series are very entertaining. Both these detectives working together um, come with a, a cast of characters. For Jury, it's his colleagues, his terrible boss, his secretary who thinks she's Princess Diana or wants to be an awful cat. 
um, a neighbor spot. <laughs> and for Melrose, he's this, um, he's an earl, but he's given up his title, but he hasn't given up his privileges or his idle life. So his circle is a bunch of the idle rich who spend their time criticizing each other. But it, these books are just sparkling with wit, all of them, the entire mm-hmm. series. And um, what I find really interesting about them is the dynamic between the two detectives. The whole series is really good, but the book I thought best fit the question was one called The Lamorna Wink. And the series is, every book in the series is named after a British pub. So The Lamorna Wink is a pub. Most of the books are about Richard Jury and how he interacts with suspects, but this is really Melrose Plant's book. And Melrose has decided to rent a, a house on a cliff in Cornwall called Seaborn. And as he settles into this house, we find out that it has a very tragic past and history. The family, the Bletchley family that used to live there, um, their two small children vanished one day and were killed. And the, and the mystery is what happened to them? How did they leave their home? How and why did they die? And as always in these books, when Melrose is involved in a mystery, he calls Richard Jurian and the two of them work together to unravel the different threads. So it's a very complicated, solid plot. And it's good because you get a full cast of characters who are suspects. You get clues that lead you very intuitively and imaginatively from one moment in the book to the next. Um, and you also have all the usual things with forensics and, um, you know, legal issues of questioning suspects and all of those things. So I don't think it's strictly golden age, but it has a lot of those conventions. And in the beginning, the books were quite lighthearted in the series. But by the time you get to the Lamorna Wink, they're really deep in their characterization. And this book, has a really shocking and heart-rending ending. So I thought I thought it fit the, the question well. Okay, um, my pick for you is Night Film by Marisha Pessel, which I think has a lot of these elements to it. It's definitely a, a puzzle, and the ending is very slap in the face. It actually, when I first read it, reminded me of um, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is not a spoiler because the ending is not similar, but it is, uh, you have that similar moment of like, what? <laughs> which uh, I always appreciate. Um, so this is modern day, uh, present day. It's about an investigative journalist named Scott McGrath who has kind of ruined his life by trying to figure out uh, who and where and what uh, is going on with a, a guy named Stanislas Cordova, who is a cult horror film director who's super reclusive, hasn't been seen in public for like 30 years. Him and his family are wrapped up in a bunch of shady dealings. And Scott McGrath, uh, before the book opened, tried to, like, get at his life and, like, figure out where he is and what is the deal with all the shadiness that surrounds him. Um, and he lost his marriage. He lost his career. His life was pretty much ruined the first time he did that. So present day, Cordova's daughter, Ashley, is found dead in an abandoned warehouse in New York. It's ruled a suicide, but Scott McGrath feels like she was probably killed. So he goes on this, like, quest to figure out what happened to Ashley Cordova. And, of course, this brings him closer and closer to Stanislaus, who is the guy who almost ruined his life uh, in the first place. And there are so many puzzles, like, puzzles within puzzles. Like, he has to actually solve some puzzles when he ends up on Stanislaus's estate, um, which turns out to be a really weird, uh, like, kind of horror obstacle course. Um, <laughs> I know. Show title. Show title. Yeah. <laughs> it's super strange. Um, there is a lot of, you know, modern forensic stuff going on, like you asked for, because it is present day and the police do get involved. But he's an investigative journalist. He's not a cop. So it's not like, you know, NCIS level Abby in the lab doing analysis. Um, and also there is a little bit of supernatural 
hints at whether or not Ashley um, was murdered with like some black magic kind of stuff. It's all very strange. There's a lot going on. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, the ending is very in your face weird. What the heck is going on? Um, so I think that that would work. So that's Night Film by Marisha Puzzle. I had to seek assistance with this one <laughs> because it was so specific. And as you know, if you listen to the show, I actually haven't read that much Christie, although I love the one that I read, which was The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Um, but anyway, the uh, the suggestion I ended up having for you is the first book in, in Louise Penny's Chief Inspector Armand Gamache series, which is called Still Life. Um, I have a tendency to just pick books up out of order in mystery series because I'm like, ah, oh, they'll catch me up. But I have been informed by reliable sources that you must read these in order. Um and Louise Penny has, like, won an award named after Agatha Christie, so I feel like, you know, that helps qualify uh, the books for this question. Um, and in this first uh, novel, um, Gamache is called into the scene of a suspicious death in a small village, like a rural Quebec, uh, or, is, or excuse me, south of Montreal, um, and because a woman has been found dead in the woods. Um, everybody who lives in the town, uh, which is called Three Pines, are like, oh, it was a tragic hun hunting accident. Um, but the inspector is like, mm, I think there's something else going on. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so this is the first book in the series. Um, from what I understand, they go on to get significantly darker over time. So that's a thing to know. Um, but also what I think is interesting about uh, this series is that, like, you know, a lot of it, detective books, the detective in question is, like, kind of grim and, like, you know, hard-boiled and divorced and maybe, you know, drinking their way through bottles and whatever. Um but, like, Gamash is not that kind of hero. Uh, uh, you know, like, he is in a happy marriage, for example, which, like, I don't remember the last time I read a book with a detective who was happily married. Like, what? That's a thing. Um, and so there's some stuff that's different about this series that sounds really appealing. Um, and as I have said, I've been assured that it is that kind of, like, puzzle mystery thing. So my recommendation is Still Life, which is the first uh, Chief Inspector Armand Gamash uh series um, by Louise Penny. Our sponsor for this show is Only the Dead No Burbank by Bradford Tatum, which is, if you like horror and you like meta, it is a meta horror novel. Uh, it's about the golden age of filmmaking and includes characters like Lon Chaney and Boris, Boris Karloff, who you might recognize. Um, it's about a woman named Maddie Ulm, and she is involved in like early expressionist cinema in Berlin and then goes to Hollywood and then she becomes involved in all of these productions including the Phantom of the Opera and Dracula and Frankenstein um, and it's just one of those sort of historical waltzes through a certain time period uh, specifically about horror though um, so if this if you are a film fan if you are a horror fan if you are a meta fan all of these things you are definitely going to want to check out Only the Dead No Burbank by Bradford Tatum. Yeah, I can't say his name. By Bradford Tatum. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, next right. question is me. Uh, this question is from Jess. I'm looking for book recommendations for my sister. She loves mysteries and thrillers, but not before bedtime. <laughs> and she gravitates towards those with strong female characters. She loves Karen Slaughter, Tana French, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series, etc. She also read The Forgotten Girls by Sarah Bladel and loved it. Would you have any recommendations that would fit? All right, Asma, what do you think? So I chose something a little bit unusual for this 
question because I've been trying to add more diversity into my reading and mystery fiction. And I picked a book by Attica Locke called The Cutting Season. And this book features this incredible female protagonist by the name of Karen Gray. And it's set on a former plantation on the Mississippi River in Louisiana. And Karen is the general manager of this plantation called Bellevue, which now serves as a tourist attraction. And it, it's complete with, um, with performances and restoration of former slave quarters. And the mystery revolves around one day on this estate, um, a female migrant worker ends up in a ditch with her throat cut. And Karen feels that the police have immediately zeroed in on the wrong suspect. And she thinks there's more to the story than, than what appears, what is immediately obvious to the eye. So she starts to embark in a kind of Agent Scully way on her own very dangerous investigation. And she quickly discovers that this current murder is linked to the history of a runaway slave from the plantation. So it's a really immersive dive into American history, culture, race relations, um, the plantation, Louisiana, they're beautifully described. It's really atmospheric. And Karen, I love her because she is this incredibly strong woman, tremendously resourceful, uh, and she's facing, you know, a very confrontational police force. She's facing suspects who are dangerous, but she's sort of determined to plow ahead regardless of the dangers. And even though she's strong, she still lacks quite a bit of insight into herself and her circumstances and the people around her. But that doesn't stop her from going forward to try to find out both what happened to the migrant worker and how that may be connected to this historical story that really revolves around the, the nature of the plantation. Okay, um, my pick, I'm going to I'm gonna butcher this name and I'm so sorry. The book is called Someone to Watch Over Me and the author is Ursa ah, Sigurdar Daughter. She's from Iceland, and I probably said that super wrong, and I apologize. Um, so this is actually the fifth book in in her series uh, about an Icelandic lawyer named Thora, but I have not read the books before it and didn't feel like I was missing anything, which is, you know, often the case with mystery series like that. So I don't feel like you need to read the whole series before you read this one. Um, so this book is so, man, it's so interesting. Uh, it's about a young man who has Down syndrome. He's been convicted of burning down his care home where he lives in Iceland and killing five people. Um, and so another inmate in that uh, care home who is a convicted pedophile hires Thora, who is a lawyer, to prove that the boy with Down syndrome was innocent, that he didn't do it. Um, the pedophile has just come into a lot of money and has his own reasons for wanting Uh, the case to be overturned. Thora doesn't understand uh, why she's being involved. She's very, you know, she costs a lot of money. She's a lawyer. She's, um, she's very expensive. She doesn't understand the connection between this convicted pedophile and this young man with Down syndrome. Um, And she is not particularly interested in getting involved, but then for her own personal reasons, she does. And uh, she goes to like she goes out to interview a bunch of the uh, victims family members and finds out that there's all these family secrets that were never revealed to the police um one of the boys who was killed had autism and also liked to set fires one of the women who was killed in the fire um was pregnant when she died and no one had ever identified the father but she had been in a coma for a long time so obviously there's some shenanigans afoot there um thora herself is such a really she's a fascinating character she has um, you know, a practice. She's a strong and independent woman. She's married and has a blended family. So it's a very like modern um, kind of, uh, what am I trying to say? It's a modern relationship, which I appreciate. And also she's not like so many hard boiled detective novels, especially ones from like 
the Icelandic area that I've read, um, the detective or the, the, the attorney or the whatever um, is like this, you know, really gritty and kind of borderline alcoholic, whatever. But Sora is like a like healthy person <laughs> without tons of personal issues who just like goes out to solve the case, which I found really refreshing. Um, yeah, it's like nice. <laughs> um, anyway. So there is a uh, also a little bit of a weird supernatural element to this. There's a house that's at the center of this mystery that may or may not be haunted. There's like an exorcism that happens. Um, but anyway, she has to she goes out and like does the work, which I also really like that there's a lot of um, digging and detailed kind of kind, not police work because she's not a cop, but like investigative work that she does to get at the bottom of the mystery. Um, and then the answer turns out to be something that I never saw coming, which is not rare. I never see it coming. But there you go. <laughs> so that's <laughs> someone to watch over me. Uh, by Ursa. I'm not even going to try it again. The spelling will be in the show notes. Um, I also never see it coming. So when everybody's <laughs> like twist ending, I'm like, but I didn't know anyway. <laughs> They're all twist endings. Right? I got nothing. <laughs> um, I just want to co-sign Attica Locke's Cutting Season. I loved that book. I loved it. I loved it. Um, okay, so my pick for you is Kara Black's Amy LeDuc Mysteries, which all take place in Paris. Um, and Amy LeDuc is a private investigator, and she is kind of a classic private investigator. Like, her life is not exactly together. She's made some bad choices. Um, and I love it even more in this situation, because I do love a good hard-boiled noir sort of person. Um, but it's a woman, which you don't get all that often. So, I mean, we're getting it more now thankfully but yeah Amy LeDuc is great um and I love that her method of solving crimes is just to like put herself into these situations that you're like well you're definitely gonna find out something because somebody might try to kill you (laughs) like she's always getting shot at or like stabbed or chased down alleys like her life is very complicated um and uh, I, I did actually start with the first one for once in this series, which is Murder in the Marais, um, when she is she was she's trying to like just be a technical investigator. So like computery stuff um, and not do criminal investigation because her father, who is a police detective, was killed in the line of duty. But then um, she gets approached by this man who she just like doesn't feel like she can say no to. Um, and uh, and then, you know, gets entangled in this crazy thing that like involves you know, France and Paris during World War II and the occupation and goes into all this like crazy stuff. Um, And uh, it's really intense. But from your sister's list of other authors that she's read, it doesn't sound like that's going to be a problem. Um, And I think that Amy is just a really fascinating character to watch, like, you know, watch her, like, poke criminal activities with a stick until everything explodes. Um, (laughs) That's the kind of books that they are. So... That is the Amy LaDuke Mysteries by Kara Black, and the first one is Murder in the Marais. All right. Question three. This is from Lizzie, and she says, Recently I've had the urge to start reading mystery thriller novels, but I don't know what to read. I plan on picking up The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, since I've seen both movies and absolutely love them. I also watched Zodiac, and I found it both enthralling and pretty frightening at times, which is what I think I'm looking for. Okay, Ausma, you are up. All right, so this sounds like scarier reading than I typically do, but I have read a pair of novels that are two linked mysteries that I think fit perfectly here. The first in this pair was absolutely terrifying with a well, wonderful, well-rounded cast of characters, and they're by the British writer Reginald Hale, and they're called Dialogues of the Dead and Death Jest Book. Um, so I'm going to start talk about the first book, Dialogues of the Dead, in some detail. 
The books are towards the end of Hill's pretty long-running series featuring this fabulous pair of D.L. and Pasco who work in mid-Yorkshire CID. And D.L.'s name is spelled Dalziel, so it's very confusing. But I used to watch the TV show, so I figured it out eventually. <laughs> um, so in the book Dialogues of the Dead, you dive right in. And this is a book about a serial killer who is taunting the police. And there's a local competition and a short story competition taking place. And what the serial killer does is he sends in letters to this competition. And the first death, you think, okay, well, it was just an accident. Um, a guy who works in, in the automobile repair, like people who break down on the road, he ends up dead in a creek and it looks like an accident. But then the letters start coming and you realize it's not an accident. And the killer, I'm not going to say if it's a he or she, but I'll just use the generic he. Um, the killer sends these letters in and makes it clear to the detectives that there's more murders coming and the book is filled with them. One oh, other and and Reginald Hill is a writer who really loved wordplay and he was very erudite. He knew the classics really well. He uses a lot of Latin, but in a really sophisticated and fun way. And this book is sort of the epitome of his skills in that regard. This book is about understanding language and wordplay, but it's also about a serial killer who's stacking up quite a body count. Um, and so the police have a responsibility to figure out obviously who's doing the killing and try to prevent the next murder, but also to understand these word clues that the killer is leaving for them um, and how they can, it's it, in a sense, that's how they're going to predict the next murder. And they have to call on, you know, therapists and profilers and academics. And so it's really fun because uh, the, the superintendent DL is this character who's a real blowhard and he has no respect for academia. <laughs> He's always puncturing their pretensions. Whereas his subordinate, Peter Pasco, is this university-educated police inspector who's got a very refined sensibility about him and speaks in that language. So they, they make a great pair. And you see that they're both really sharp investigators. But this mystery, when it comes to its end, the ending is mind-blowing. It's also terrifying. I stayed up that whole night. I had to have my light on. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> Those were really... And then the second book, Death's Jest book, is sort of... It's a separate mystery, but it's very closely connected, and it sort of finishes the story. Okay, um, enthralling and frightening is uh, a great <laughs> kind of sub subgenre. Um, so my pick for you is The Surgeon by Tess Gerritsen, which is the first book in the Rizzoli and Isles series. So if you've seen that TV show, you might be a little familiar with the characters, um, even though Isles isn't in the first one. But anyway, um, so I read this in like a day and am still convinced that there's a serial killer living under my bed. Like I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's like right now. <laughs> the dude is under there with some duct tape. Um, so this is about a serial killer in Boston who um, duct tapes rape victims. Like he finds rape victims, duct tapes them to their beds. And then while they're still alive, like uh, like trigger warning a lot right here. Uh, while they're still alive, he cuts out their uterus and then slits their throat. So, Oh, my um, God. I know. That's horrifying. <laughs> wow. It's so awful. And so... Um, this is, you know, it's happened a couple of times in Boston. The police are obviously looking for the killer. Uh, Moore and Rizzoli are the two um, police officers who are, like, heading up the investigation. And then they realize that all of the killings are connected somehow to Catherine Cordell, who's a doctor, um, a surgeon at uh, a hospital in Boston, who was attacked in the same manner 
when she lived in the south in Savannah, but managed to get an arm free in the middle of the attack and shot and killed the attacker. So someone is copying the states, copy, is copying the murders um, of this guy that she that Catherine killed back in Savannah, and uh, all of the murders are like so they surround this woman somehow. So she's at the center, and no one can figure out why. Meanwhile, these killings keep happening, and with each one, they get closer and, and closer to Catherine, who was the victim who killed the killer in the first place. And obviously, he's dead. So like, what is happening? Because this person who's committing these killings knows details um, that that were never released by the police in Savannah, that were never made public. Um, so is he like not dead? Does she dream killing him? Like what? What is happening? Um, so it's obviously really violent. And the thing about Tess Garretson's mysteries is that she was a doctor, so they're very anatomical, <laughs> like very anatomical. Um, but actually, I found that kind of comforting because they're so they're so medical and like specific about like the words that she uses for muscles and stuff that it actually brought me out of the scene a little bit, um, which was good because I was like scared. Um, but like in a, you know, in a way that you are when you read horror on purpose. Um, so that's The Surgeon <laughs> by Tess Garretson. It's the first book in the Resilient Isle series and all of the trigger warnings that I could possibly give you. Did you put the book in the freezer? I was reading it on my phone. So no, <laughs> because my phone is expensive. But I did put my phone between my mattress and my box spray. Because, <laughs> like, no. Just get away from me. <laughs> um, I also... I'm so sorry. We're going to give you nightmares forever. I also have a <laughs> well, you for. <laughs> mystery for you. Um, it's Postmortem, which is the first of the Case Scarpetta books by Patricia Cornwell, um, who does, like frightening and enthralling like perfect like that is her bag um and these take place in richmond amanda don't read these just okay. like don't read them Thank um you. <laughs> so uh <laughs> too close to home um so as a, a killer is leaving a trail of like stranglings uh strangling victims around the city and case case carpetta is a medical examiner who uh is just like trying to figure out what is going on and how they can she can help police track down the killer um there's not like a lot of serial killers have like a quote-unquote signature that's like supposed to like you know it's like like clue you in a little just enough to know that it's the same person but um this killer's uh signature is very like is not offering a lot of clues um and so she has to use like forensic science to try to figure out you know how to catch the killer um and then, but the the investigation, of course, is being sabotaged from within, um, and maybe now she's in, you know, the line of sight for being next on the list, and so there's a lot going on. Uh, you might have to put the book in the freezer or between your mattress and the box spring, like, depending, whatever makes, you know, works for you. But you did mention the Zodiac Killer, so, like, I feel like that's what we're all going off of here. Um, so, yeah, have fun with that. Uh, that's <laughs> Postmortem by Patricia Cornwell. All yeah, right. Those books both sound far too frightening for me. Though. Yeah, I don't read too much <laughs> of that stuff. I have an overactive imagination as it is. Sometimes I get in a mood. Yeah, I'm like great. Sometimes yeah. you want to be scared. Like I get it. Um, I mostly read Lauren Bucus for that though. So, um, okay. So let's see. Question four is from Jess. 
recently I've started reading legal thrillers slash mysteries, but I'm bothered by the fact that they all deal with the American legal system. As a proud Canadian, I was super excited when I discovered the Robert Rotenberg legal thriller mysteries and I ended up lo- learning so much about the Canadian legal system and its many differences. I wonder if you could find me recommendations of books, fiction or nonfiction, about countries other than Canada and their U.S. and legal systems. Uh, so what have you got for... Oh, well, I just wanted to say first that like, if you hadn't already said you don't want Canadian stuff, I was going to recommend Asma's books because yeah. <laughs> they're so good for this. Um, they're just perfect. And did you tell me that the Among the Ruins is also international in scope? It is. It starts out in Toronto, but most of the mystery is actually set in Iran. Mm, so there you go. Okay, but what do you have uh, for Rex on this one? Okay, so this was a bit challenging, but I recommend it, I would recommend Elizabeth George's novel, Just One Evil Act. And she writes a series, and can you tell I'm a series fan? She writes a series that features a perennially beleaguered Scotland Yard pair of Inspector Thomas Lindley and and his partner, Sergeant Barbara Havers. And Lindley is an aristocrat who's slumming in CID, and he has the most messed up family history and personal relationships I have ever read in mystery fiction. And he's more than matched by his tough-as-nails, thoroughly insubordinate Sergeant Havers, who never does things by the book, She's always taking plenty of rope to hang herself with. And at this point in the series, she's sort of on the brink of being canned for refusing to follow protocol. It's not the best book in the series, but it's pretty strong. But the reason I think it applies is because in this book, Havers has to untangle the Italian legal system. So if I set up the story a little, this installment is self-contained, but it builds on Barbara's relationship with her next door neighbor, a man named Thamula Uzzer. Um, and he comes to her for help because his daughter has been kidnapped in Italy. And so so the, on the surface, this is a mystery about a kidnapping, but it's actually much more complicated because his daughter, Hadia, was actually first taken by her mother, Angelina, without a word to the father. Um, and Angelina, Angelina is, a, is his ex. They don't have a friendly relationship. Their whole story was complicated. She abandoned the little girl when she was born. But the father's name isn't on the birth certificate, so he doesn't have any legal rights to her. Um, so she takes off with the kid and uh, Barbara wants to help because she's more than a little bit in love with Pamela, but she also loves Hadia. And so she's been missing with her mother for months, but then suddenly Angelina comes back in the picture and says, I had taken Hadia to Italy, to Tuscany, and she was kidnapped from there and I desperately need your help to find our daughter. And so Barbara, of course, dives in head first and she has to, she gets herself over to Tuscany where the Italian police are investigating the crime and it very quickly progresses to murder, I won't say who, and the, and her, her neighbor Famola is held in prison by the Italian police. So she now has to figure out both how Italian prosecution works, but also how, how their police conduct an investigation. And they have several different levels of police forces and they have something very unique where the prosecutor over there is also involved in the investigation as well as the trial, unlike here with the two separate branches so it's complicated and then there's beyond all of this there's like the layer of cultural norms how do police behave in Italy and how do you interact with them and how do you recognize a superior and how do you act as a subordinate um, so all of those things I think would would fit this request for a different legal system it actually kind of reminded me of the golden age mystery by Nio Marsh when in Rome where you kind of discover the same things about how Italian policing works so it's, it's a really good in-depth look, but I will say that this book is super long. Um, it has <laughs> maybe a few pacing issues, and there's a lot of untranslated Italian in it. 
But it's really great in the sense that you do feel thoroughly immersed in Italy. Um, you love, you end up loving Barbara, but also wondering how she can be such a dunderhead and constantly be putting her career and her life on the line, which she always does. But she, when Barbara gets into something, she's all in. She's all heart, and she wants, she loves Hathia. So of course, she's terrified what's going to happen to this little girl. So um, yeah, I, I think this is a, a good immersion into Italy's police procedure and legal system. And uh, if you have the patience, it's a, it's a good ending too. Okay, my pick for you is Smaller and Smaller Circles by F.H. Bodicon, which I've talked about on the show before. This is um, kind of being widely touted as the Filipino, or as the first um, murder mystery to come out of the Philippines, translated, or not translated, rather, uh, just the first murder mystery to come out of the Philippines. Um, and it's so, like, there's so much about this that's interesting and novel and that I hadn't read uh, in a mystery before. But the two main characters are Jesuit priests. Um, the main want, the main main character, that's weird, uh, Father Gus is a forensic anthropologist, one of the only ones that exists in the Philippines, and his kind of protege assistant is Father Jerome, who is a psychologist. And together they work with the uh, National Bureau of Investigation, which is kind of like the FBI of the Philippines, um, to help solve some crimes. And the crimes that are occurring now are that preteen boys are appearing in uh, a dump um, which exists like to the northeast a little bit of Manila, which is like, a, you know, the big capital of the Philippines. Um, and since these are like one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city, the local police force is already stretched really thin. And, you know, these are kind of throwaway boys that no one really cares about. So no one is connecting the murders and no one is really attempting to solve them at all. And so while you're um, going with these two priests, because they're in their parish, so these priests like care, obviously, about... Um, figuring out what's happening to these boys that they deeply care about. Um, so you're following these two priests as they work with the uh, National Bureau of Investigations to, to solve the crime. Um, but it's also such like a fa like an eye-opening and fascinating look at both local policing in the Philippines and also their federal policing, which I knew nothing about either of those things. But like one of the big conflicts in the book is that the Jesuits realize that this is a serial killer, but serial killing is not really a thing that, 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 I mean, obviously it exists in the Philippines, but it's not a thing that the, uh, the, the federal police are equipped to deal with or have ever, or have dealt with on the level of many Western countries. And so these, the, the priests when, during their investigation face a lot of bias about that. Like cops who were like, obviously these are not connected because serial crime is a, is a Western problem, um, which I did, I didn't realize that was an attitude that existed. And like, there's a lot of a, a addressing of corruption, um, in the police force, um, and bias against, uh, po poverty, uh, people who are, you know, solving crimes that affect victims who are poor, solving crimes that affect victims of sexual assault, because it's still a very Catholic nation and there's a lot of shame and guilt and silence that envelopes, um, sexual crimes. So there's this, it's, it's a, it's a very deep look into the setup and situation of both local and federal investigations and, and the, the laws that come that, that like accompany those things, um, in the Philippines, which I, I knew absolutely nothing about. So that's Smaller and Smaller Circles by F.H. Batacon. My pick for 
This one is, I guess, technically the second book, but I haven't read the first one and it hasn't been bothering me. I'm, I'm in the middle of it now. <laughs> it is called Stolen Lives. It's the second in the J.D. Young, I believe is how you say her last name, uh, series by Jassy McKenzie, who um, is uh, writing about South Africa. Um, so she, Jade is a is a um, bodyguard, actually. Um, and she gets hired to protect this wealthy woman who, like, it seems more than a little crazy but is basically saying her husband has been kidnapped he's missing well she doesn't know what's happened to him but he's missing she thinks she's you know her life is in danger and that proves to be true because like 10 minutes after meeting this client and like you know taking her on and going you know they're heading back to the house um oh and her daughter is also missing right this woman's daughter is also missing they get like like somebody tries to like shoot them in their car in the middle of broad daylight um as they're driving down the street so things very quickly escalate um and uh, and then this happens so early on. I don't think it's a spoiler. Jade finds the husband who's been like tortured and is but is still alive in the background in the backyard of the family house. Um, so like there's a lot of messed up stuff going on. Um, so as as is kind of you know it is an international mystery to begin with because it takes place in um, South Africa. But um, it's also an international plot. So you, the story actually opens with a little snippet from a British police who are working on a, a sting operation about human trafficking. Um, and so that is kind of the through line. Like you have several governments trying to deal with this human traffic ring that is international. Um, and then on top of it, you know, you find out like how this wealthy woman is involved and, you know, all of these other people are getting pulled into it. And there's also a lot about visa applications. Um, so there's like a lot of, you know, sort of bureaucratic details that come up in the course of the book that I thought would make it a good fit for this. I really did try to find like a courtroom drama that <sighs> didn't take place in the U.S. and I just couldn't <laughs> find one. Like I just, I don't know if it's because I just didn't look in the right places, but boy, I could not find one anywhere because I would also like to read that. Um, so listeners, if you're out there and have any thoughts, um, I would be very interested in hearing them. But anyway, so that's my pick for you. It's Stolen Lives by Jassy McKenzie. Okay, question five. Uh, this is from Chase, who says, I am finding more and more that I love mystery detective novels. I especially love them if they have beautiful prose and or well-fleshed-out characters. Thus, I think Tana French is queen of everything. Uh, I've also really enjoyed Robert Galbraith and Sophie Hanna. So what other authors will be in my wheelhouse? That is, who can I read between Tana French novels? All right, go ahead, Osma. So he has a definite preference. Um, <laughs> it's the whole Louise Penny series would fit really nicely, but I actually went a different way. Um, beautiful prose and well-fleshed-out characters puts me in mind of Morag Joss's Sarah Selkirk series. And this is because Morag Joss writes with verb and a really fresh approach to language. Her descriptions of anything are not to be missed, whether it's character or the environment, the setting, nature, you name it, because she can always find a new way to describe the most ordinary things. And your brain gets startled by pleasure as you read. And then in my case, I always think, why can't I write like that? Why can't I describe something that way? So, so fascinating and fresh. So that's one of the things that I love about it. Um, but what's interesting in this series is it's it's a limited series. I wish there were more books. There's three books, Funeral Music, Fearful Symmetry, and Fruitful Body. So I'll talk about Funeral Music, the intro. So the protagonist is not a detective. She's not a doctor, an anthropologist, a medical examiner. She's a world-famous cellist. 
but she also likes to try her hand at amateur sleuthing. And the first book opens with Sarah uh, having not performed publicly in over a year because she's been very distraught by the death of a loved one. And she's got this now she's got this performance anxiety where she's not sure if she can play in public. But she's been invited to headline a concert in Bath, England. And so she decides she's going to she's going to do her best. She's going to try and, and perform publicly. And uh, she goes as soon as she goes to this to, and to meet all the people who are involved with the, with the concert, we find out that the organizer is murdered and um, she's treated like a suspect and has a sort of antagonistic relationship with the police. But because she's a really she's a really smart and curious person, she's got a really tough, resilient personality. So she involves herself in this like nobody's business. She wants to figure out what's happened. She thinks the police are dunderheads and she thinks she might know a little bit better um, how to solve this mystery of how her concert organizer was killed. And at the same time, she has to figure out her, her issues with her, with her cello. Um, and so the great thing about the books is that they're beautifully written. They're full of fantastic prose. They also are a great introduction to classical music. You learn so much about not just technique, but um, how to appreciate music, what it means to perform, the emotion, the intelligence, the the careful thinking about how and what you play. So I thought that was like a, a very unique thing in mystery fiction, uh, a whole new world that you get to explore. Um, and, the, and then the books become even more interesting, not only because Bath is such a wonderful setting, such a beautiful little town, but also because um, Sarah starts to fall for the detective, um, Andrew Poole, who's a married man and becomes her cello student because he has an interest in classical music as well. And he's in this troubled, problematic marriage which adds a little verve to the series where you kind of love him, but you also kind of hate him, just <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> and uh, and um, so it's, it's, they're well plotted. They're clever. They're not frightening. They're not very forensic, but they're, they're lighthearted and they're fun. And they're, they're, again, they're really, really well written. So I really liked that series with the Sarah Salkirk mysteries. Man, I want to read those. <laughs> okay. My pick for you is Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter by Tom Franklin. And this book was kind of described as like Flannery O'Connor meets Cormac McCarthy. And I feel like that's pretty accurate. Um, he is an amazing writer, like on a sentence level, the prose is fantastic. And the characterization in this book in particular is really, really great. So I feel like you'll enjoy this a lot. Um, so it takes place in Mississippi, in rural Mississippi, like deep, deep rural Mississippi. It starts in the seventies and the two main characters are Larry and Silas. Larry, um, is the child of like lower middle class white parents who are very religious. Um, and Silas is the son of a poor single black mother. And they grow up kind of near each other, like sort of neighbors-ish, and become friends. They, they form like a really close friendship throughout their childhood. And then when they're teenagers, Larry takes a girl out on a date to a drive-in. He goes home without her, and she's never seen or heard from again. This girl just goes missing entirely. Um, so, of course, the community assumes that Larry has done something awful to her. He never confesses. She's never found, but he also never leaves. Like, he just stays in this small town in Mississippi, uh, refusing to admit that he's done anything wrong. Um, and he becomes a mechanic, kind of a recluse, and just sort of does the thing. Silas leaves town um, because of the incident and how much it has shaken the county and his friendship with Larry obviously ends and he comes back after 20 years. So you jump forward to a modern day um, and Larry is, you know, still kind of living his solitary life. Silas comes back to be a police officer, which is really interesting. And they have no reason to interact, right? I mean, it's a small town, but Larry lives out on the outskirts and doesn't really 
you know, talk to anybody. So they have no reason to really cross paths. But then another girl disappears in a similar way. And Larry is automatically blamed by the community. People pressure Silas to investigate him, even though there's no evidence that Larry's guilty, um, other than, you know, the connection to the previous crime from 20 years ago. So now they have to talk and, like, confront their past and the things that happened in their childhood that brought them together and then eventually drove them apart. And um, you gotta, you know, figure out if Larry did it, or did both, or neither, or one but not the other. Like, you don't know. So there's a murder mystery at the center of it, but it's really a book about race and class and small-town life and secrets um, and the South, which, you know, all of those things, center of my wheelhouse. Woohoo! So that's Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter by Tom Franklin. I was actually going to re- recommend Attica Locke for this question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Asana has already so eloquently recommended uh, The Cutting Season, so I'm just going to, like, co-sign that one for this one. Um, but I do have a backup, and it is a classic. It's Tinkered Taylor Soldier Spy by John le Carre. Um, I feel like maybe Chase has already read these, but just in case, um, I just love this book so much. Um, it is a like Soviet-era Cold War spy novel, uh, in case you have somehow missed it, because I had for a really long time. You never know. Um, And the main character, George Smiley, is working for the British uh, intelligence, um, and there is a mole. And uh, the mole is clearly very highly placed. Um, Some really important operations have been blown. Like, they know there's a double agent, but they don't know who it is. And George Smiley is given the assignment to try to figure out who is the mole. Uh, And so this is hard for many reasons, not only because this double agent is like obviously very smart to have gotten as far as they've gotten, but also like Smiley has been working in this, you know, in British intelligence for a really long time. And he's very close to a lot of the people he works with. So it's one of those like, oh my gosh, we're like, I'm looking at my friends now and trying to figure out, you know, my friends, my enemies, all of these people, like, who could it be? Uh, And so it is really intense, like, very tense. Um, And it's not, I mean, I guess, like, people die, but it's not a murder mystery per se. Like, you're not trying to solve one murder. You're trying to find a double agent. Um, And he's such, Lucari is such a good writer. Um, I just think this is, like, really, like, the characterizations are interesting and the plot is well-paced and everything about this book is great. Um, And also, Lucari, his memoir just came out and, like, he used to work for British intelligence. So he knows whereof he speaks, which I think (laughs) adds, like, a cool layer to this uh, as well. So that is Tinkertail Soldier Spy um, by John le Carre, which is actually the first of the Carla trilogy, um, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. All right, sixth question. Here we go. Uh, is from Cammie. I just experienced my first real winter and snowstorm after moving up north. I read a lot, but I felt myself wanting to read some books that fit the atmosphere. What are some good books to cuddle up with in the winter? I found The Secret History to be particularly fitting, as well as Wuthering Heights and Carry On, which is my new favorite YA. What books would you recommend for the next snowstorm? Uh, I'm particularly interested in mystery, though I've only read Sherlock Holmes and know next to nothing of the genre. All right. What do you think, Asma? I found the perfect book for this one. Awesome! (laughs) Which is, these are by the Scottish writer. It's a trilogy by Peter May. And the book that I'm thinking of is called The Black House. The other two books in the series are The Lewis Man and The Chessman. And it's a fantastic trilogy. But The Black House is the kind of book that comes along, I think, maybe once in a decade, once maybe even in a lifetime. It's 
a book that had such a tremendous impact on me. I couldn't stop thinking about it for weeks afterwards, not only because the storytelling is so beautiful and significant, but because it's one of those books that it almost wounds you. It's so profound and so deep and it it follows all the conventions of the mystery genre, and yet it's nothing like a mystery that you would typically read. And the book is set in the uh, in the Outer Hebrides on the Isle of Lewis, and it, it goes very deeply into the history, into the history of the islands. And it's it's a completely different, closed off world that you'd have no exposure to. So the islands are really like characters in these books, and um, you have a sense constantly of being physically threatened by weather, by the cold, by the wind off the ocean. So it's very, very atmospheric as well. But the, the mystery is really about this detective in Edinburgh by the name of Finn MacLeod. And there's been a brutal killing there. And now there's been a brutal killing on the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides, which sort of bears the same marker. So he's sent by his superiors over there to investigate because he's from there and he knows the people and he knows the culture and the customs. And he, he doesn't really want to go back because he left. He was running away. He was fleeing his own childhood ghosts. And he goes back into the small, tight-knit community. And he has to meet, again, the girl, the first girl that he loved and his best friend and all the people that he abandoned and betrayed or who abandoned and betrayed him in different ways. And you get into this very complex story, which is almost like a reverse coming-of-age story. And it, to me, it really reads like a, a really beautiful interior monologue kind of novel where there is a grisly murder of a village of a local village bully who also had a tremendous impact on Finn's life and he has to sort all of that out but then you learn the history of the islands they're very unique customs this thing called the guga hunt which is so beautifully told it's a bird it's kind of almost like a turkey that all the men on the island get together to hunt once a year and how they prepare it and stock it in the black house that's a significant part of the story it adds so much richness and depth to it and then there's the Catholic Church and the role that the church has played in the life of the people of the islands. And it's 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 very stark and devastating. And it's exactly the kind of book that if you were trapped in a snowstorm, you'd want to have a really nice warm blanket and a mug of hot cocoa. And you'd be putting making your way through this. And after you finished and got to the end, you'd feel like a different person because you learned so much about what it means to be a human being and how terribly we treat each other, but how also we could be redeemed by acts of grace. So to me, this is the kind of book I would never forget. And I, whenever I get a chance, I heartily recommend it. Okay, um, I couldn't decide if I wanted to recommend this book or not, because if you do get snowed in, it might be a little terrifying. But, you know, whatever. So the, <laughs> <laughs> go with God. Um, so my pick is Wolf Winter by Cecilia Ekbach. And it I like this one because it's a mystery, but it's also historical fiction. So you said you were looking especially for mysteries, but if you wanted something that was cross-genre, this is a good one. So it takes place in the Swedish Lapland in the 1700s, the early 1700s. It's about a family, a small family that's left Finland and has moved there to the Swedish Lapland, hoping to, like, you know, forget. They've had a difficult and kind of traumatic past. They want to put down new roots, start over. Um, you know, build a, a farm and could do the thing. And so they move into an abandoned cottage um, and go about establishing their lives. But within the you know, first little while after they move in, when they're herding goats on the mountain under which the village sits, um, one of the daughters, the oldest daughter, Frederica, finds a mutilated body of one of their neighbors. The uh, other villagers kind of dismiss it as a wolf attack, but Maja, who is the main character and the wife in this family, uh, realizes because of her her background as a you know midwifing and all that that the wounds could only have been really inflicted by another human being. So she 
feels like she needs to investigate and like find out what happened to her neighbor because obviously like there is a murderer among us and winter is coming in a very Game of Thronesy sort of way. Um, <laughs> except in you know the Swedish Lapland, winter comes like it's it is very Game of Thronesy. Like you can't leave your house, you get snowed in, blizzards, and it's dark for four months. So. Um, <laughs> So it is applicable. Uh, so she gets drawn into like the, the history of all of her neighbors and like all of these secrets. Um, there's a bit of a supernatural element when Frederica um, starts to find herself like pulled toward the mountains in a way that I'm not going to describe because it's very spoilery. Um, the husband leaves to go find work because they are uh, having trouble making ends meet. So she, Maja is left by herself with her two young daughters as winter descends and the murderer is still out there. So uh, amidst all of this, there's an ethnic group uh, called the Laps who are reindeer herders who come in and out. They, they like migrate and they come in and out um, with their uh, reindeer herds and they are blamed uh, for the murder. So there's some of that to deal with, some like prejudice and discrimination. They're not, you know, they didn't do it, obviously. Um, and... <laughs> Then there are, like, literal wolves <laughs> that chase people. <laughs> um, and there's, like, dealing with starvation. There's dealing with cabin fever. Um, they literally get snowed in. There's frostbite. Uh, all of this stuff that Maja has to juggle while trying to figure out uh, who committed this murder and protect her children by herself from whoever is guilty. Oh, and there's also some really great criticism of uh, the church that I liked a lot. Um, so... It's very claustrophobic in a similar way to The Shining. Like, you're stuck and someone here is going to kill you and there's nothing you can do. Also, you're probably starving. So if, if that's a thing that's going to freak you out, then you can skip it. But I really liked it. Um, and Maja is a great character. So that's Wolf Winter by Cecilia Ekbach. All right. My pick for this, I am in the middle of, and it's all I want to be doing. Like, I just want to cancel everything and read this book because I'm so entranced by it. Um, it is called The Steady Running of the Hour by Justin Goh. And it's a mystery, but not like violent murder mystery. Um, the plot line is that this young American in like modern day, like cell phones are referenced, although I don't think there's an exact year, um, named Tristan gets this call from a British like barrister and is is told that he could be the heir to a massive unclaimed estate of a World War One officer, a British World War One officer. But in order to claim the inheritance, he has to prove um, that he is the descendant, which the barristers have not been able to do on their own. And on top of that, he only has like six weeks to do it in. Um, so he but he's like just graduated college. He has not really sure what he's doing with his life. So he's like, sure, I will come to England and try to track down my family history because there could be, you know, a ton of money in it for me. Um, and so on the one hand, you're getting Tristan's story. He's a history major, which I have a lot of sympathy for. And I know Amanda does as well. Um, and so he like knows how to research. So he's like going around to all these museums and you know, private paper repositories and art galleries and trying to track down all of this stuff. Um, and so you follow him trying to track down the documents that are going to like get him to the truth. Um, and then on the other hand, you get go back in time and you get sort of a firsthand look at the relationship that has like prompted all of this. So, um, 
So you're getting uh, Ashley Walsingham, who is the guy who left the inheritance in trust. Um, and he falls in love over the course of a weekend and right before he's about to ship out to the trenches um, with this woman named Imogen Soames Anderson, who comes from like a very artistic family. Um, and she's she's an amazing character. I love her so much. Um, and so I guess she would have been called like a blue stocking, but like she knows her own mind and she knows who she is and wants to be. Um, and she falls in love with this guy and she's like, you know, trying to figure out her stuff too. Um, And so of course she gets pregnant um, and then she disappears. Nobody can track her down. Um, And it's actually only a theory that she's pregnant. Like her sister raises a child that maybe wasn't hers. And so you have all of these family history threads um, and that's the mystery is this family history. Like what actually happened? Whose kid was whose? Who gets the inheritance? And it's just really well done. Like the writing is so good. Um, there's letters in like inserted into certain moments that like, you know, provide background. I just love everything about this book. It was like written for me somehow. Um, so I th- and it does feel like the kind of book that you just want to like get a blanket and then not move from the couch for 10 mm. hours because you just want to read it. So that seems very snowstorm friendly to me. Uh, so that is The Steady Running of the Hour by Justin Go. And that's our show. We did it. <laughs> um, Asmid, thank you so much for joining us. I cannot wait to read some of these books you've recommended. You really sold me on that last one. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. The Black House is fantastic. And you girls have got me really excited about several of the books. The Crooked Letter next, I think. Oh, oh so yes. Good. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yes. So, you should check out Asma Zahanat Khan's uh, books as soon as you can. Um, they would fit a lot of these questions, actually. Um, and uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, if you get a moment, please do rate us on iTunes and leave a review. The reviews help other people to find the show uh, and we really appreciate your feedback. Uh, Thank you also to our sponsors and we'll talk to you next time. 